He did not toe the line with the normal kind of ministry that was present in that day, but rather the Lord came preaching truth, revealing the Father. You have a reference here. They hated him for his dreams and his words. And when the Lord Jesus came into the world, he was hated because he revealed the Father. And they hated him for his words. Think of those texts where the Lord Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him unto him of my Father. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and today we have our message again on Joseph, a type of Christ. We also have a story on, is there religion enough? Some people say, leave them alone, let them follow what they believe, what they hold to through their ancient traditions, and do not try to mission them. Can that be the Christian's perspective? No, the Christian must bring the gospel. Stay tuned with us today as we let the Bible speak on Joseph and then missions. But in this case, we see here that in this fault that was in Jacob, we see that the spotlight is upon Joseph. And he is loved for a number of reasons. We're told in verse 3 that he was the son of Jacob's old age. Because... Uh, Rachel had been barren for so long. She was not able to have children for a time. And you remember how he resorted to slave wives, uh, Bilhah and Zilpah, and uh, uh, had children by them. And these are the evil brothers now. You'll notice in verse 2 that the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, uh, and they were his father's slave wives. And Joseph, he was the son of Rachel, his beloved. And of course, in that way, he was extra special. He was the son of his old age, and he was the son of his true love, Rachel. And so for him, he made a coat of many colors. Now, if ever, and we would say this in families, this would be a dumb thing to do, Uh, to publicly parade your child with all the marks of special love above the others, that is really setting the stage for envy, jealousy, and all kinds of problems. But the coat of many colors made Joseph a young boy and young man of distinction. That's what the coat of many colors really stood for. He stood out as that special son. And the type is very clear uh, that as Joseph was the special, distinguished son of Jacob, so the Lord Jesus is the son whom the Father has honored and has taken every opportunity to distinguish from all others. And you think of the Lord Jesus coming into this world, how he had the angels to announce his birth, saying, this is God's Son. 
Then there was his baptism, when at 30 years of age the Father himself spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And again at Mount Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were there, and the glory of the Lord Jesus shone through his body and through his clothing, and that he glistened as the noonday sun. And the Father again spoke, This is my beloved Son. When the Lord Jesus prayed, he never prayed for his sins to be forgiven as a distinguishing mark of the Lord Jesus. He called God his Father repeatedly and lovingly. In John 17, you have that prayer of the Lord Jesus where he uh, emphasizes his union, his fellowship with God as his Father. And then you think of his death where three hours of darkness came down at the cross distinguishing the Lord Jesus. And at his resurrection, the angels attending. And then at his ascension, as the angels again attended, and saying, Why stand ye all the day gazing? The same Jesus shall so come again. And so in all these ways, God has displayed the power and the glory of his only beloved Son. And we see here in Joseph the inspired word, this divine record of a real history with real people, and yet weaved into it little details, pointers, sketches that point to the life, the character, and the relationship of the Lord Jesus with his Father. We come now to the hatred of the brothers. And again, this is another very important point. It says here in verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, please note that these brothers were his half-brothers. These brothers were the sons of Bilhan Zilpah, the slave wives of Jacob. And we don't know much about their background, but I'm sure that they did not instill into these boys the right values that would make them honorable men. And so we see a lot of carnality here. And we see even depravity here because of the hatred that was boiling over within their hearts. And there was such a deep resentment against Joseph and all that he enjoyed as the special beloved son of Jacob. And all of this, again, is building a picture that we see in the life of the Lord Jesus, because we are told that our Lord Jesus, well, they hated him just as Joseph was hated. They hated him for his person, who he was, because he was the Son of God. And these other brothers were half-brothers. They were not as children of that beloved wife, Rachel. And so they were envious. They were really 
I step away from that family relationship. And so they were filled with envy and with jealousy. Now, when the Lord Jesus came into this world, we're told in John 1.11 that he came unto his own, but his own received him not. Now, his own there would be the Jewish nation. It would be the Jewish aristocracy, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the scribes. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Now, these brothers, they hated him for his person. They also hated him for his words. If you look there at verses 6 and 7, when he said, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. And then it goes on down to end of verse 8, and it says, And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now you think of the life of the Lord Jesus. It was his preaching and teaching that offended so many. Because he did not preach and teach as the scribes and Pharisees. He did not toe the line with the normal kind of ministry that was present in that day. But rather the Lord came preaching truth, revealing the Father. You have a reference here. They hated him for his dreams and his words. And when the Lord Jesus came into the world, he was hated because he revealed the Father, and they hated him for his words. Think of those texts where the Lord Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him unto him of my Father. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And you can see how those crowds that the Lord preached to were whittled down to the twelve disciples, and even one of those betrayed the Lord in the end. The natural man hates the Son of God. Why is it that we don't have a full church tonight? Why is it that we find it difficult to go around, knock doors, and invite people to come and hear the gospel? Because in the heart of men and women, there is a hatred for the revelation of truth of the Father and the words of the Son of God. And that's the battle that we're fighting. And that's the enmity that we face as we seek to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, Verse 3, I'll come back to that again. And you'll notice that the brothers hated Joseph, for he was specially loved of his father. And I, I suppose these are pathetic words in one way. In verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. That was the sting. That was the thing that hurt penetrated the heart. And when our Lord Jesus was on earth, he spoke more of his Father than any other man. He had a closer relationship with his Father than any other person. He spent all nights of prayer with his Father. And when he spoke, he often said, My Father and I are one. And for that, you remember John 10.30, the Jews took up stones to stone him. That caused tremendous offense. 
because the Lord Jesus spoke of his near relationship unto his Father. And even on the cross, even when our Lord Jesus was in agony and sufferings, the mockers said he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And you can see the hatred of men, the rancor, the bitterness pouring out scorn upon the Lord Jesus, just as these brothers hated the Lord Jesus. Now, let's go down to verse 11 of chapter 37. And it says, His brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. That was after those dreams the dreams, first of all, of the sheaves that would bow down to him, and then the sun and the moon and the stars that would bow down to him. And these brothers could take no more. They envied him. And that's when the root of murder went into their hearts, and they devised a plan to destroy him. And of course, we know what they did to our Lord Jesus. Such was the hostility against our Lord Jesus that the only thing they could do was kill him and destroy him. There is a parable in the Gospels that the Lord Jesus told, and it's uh, found in Matthew 21. It's the parable of the kingdom where a husbandman prepared a vineyard. He prepared a tower, and he built a wall around it, and he hired servants to look after the vineyard. And then he went on a journey, and he left the servants to gather the fruit. And after the growing season and the harvest time, he sent servants to bring forth the fruits. What did those husband hirelings do? Well, when they saw the servants come, they beat them and sent them away empty. And so the husbandman sent more servants, and again they beat them. Until he said, I will send my son, surely they will honor him. But when he came into the vineyard, they seethed with envy, and they killed the son. And the Lord asked, What then do you think the husbandman will do? He will come, and he will judge and destroy those who killed his son. And so we see that bitter envy that is against the Son of God. And the Lord God knows what you have done with his Son, whether you have repented and received the Lord as your Savior, whether you have humbled yourself and say, He is the rightful Son to whom I must bow. And you remember the brothers of Joseph one day down in Egypt, how they did gladly bow? They humbled themselves right at the feet of Joseph. And we are told that there is coming a day when all men will bow the knee to Christ because he is the rightful Son of God. And if you have not submitted your heart to the Lord tonight to make Jesus your Savior, 
to trust him with all your heart, there will come a day when you will bow the knee, but it will not be in grace to receive mercy, but it will be in judgment and wrath, because you're not saved. You have not trusted in the Son of God. You are tonight a stranger, and you are far away from him, and you're guilty of trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus. And you are like these brothers of Joseph, who would not humble themselves and recognize that he is the beloved of the Father. And rather you revolt, plot, and scheme how you can defy the Lord Jesus, and it will lead you into great trouble. And you know the story of how when Joseph was sent unto them, that they plotted to kill him. And Reuben said, no, don't do that. Just put him in this pit. And then they came up with the idea of selling him to the Ishmaelites. Would you sell the Lord Jesus? Would you dispose of him just to get him out of your way? Is that what you're doing tonight as you come to hear the gospel being preached? These are the pictures that we have in this life of Joseph. Now, I want to spend a moment just talking about the inspiration of the Bible, because when we were dealing with that word of warning from Peter that we would beware of those men who rest the Scriptures, we learned that we must learn to interpret the Word of God aright, and we must learn to handle the Old Testament Scriptures in particular in a gospel fashion by which we look for Jesus on every page and we see the Savior hidden in the, in the very sketch of these lives. But what a proof that the Bible is a miracle. There is no human other author that could put together a word like this. We started our introduction tonight by looking at scanning the whole life of Joseph, how he was sold and raised and elevated, put in prison and elevated again, and became the Savior of Egypt. And that becomes a part of the great history of how the Israelites were in Egypt and then 400 years later delivered out. What human mind could even conceive the life story of Joseph? And I said that Joseph was the stuff of movies. It's about a man going from rags to riches. It's about one who goes, it's a good news story that ends so well. But the movies miss the type the pictures of Christ. You'll not get the gospel in the movies, but when you understand that this is a picture of the Father's Son, God the Father's Son, that Joseph wearing that coat of many colors which distinguished him from all others, that God was revealing his Son, then we just are blown away because in so many levels, so many details, and as Arthur Pink said, 101 parallels between the life of Joseph and Christ. This is the power of inspiration. Dare anyone say the gospel is not here or that the wonder of inspiration is not here? That's what makes this so exciting to our souls tonight. It gives us confidence that this is God's Word and built into it is the revelation of the gospel right here in Genesis, in these early chapters of God's Word. 
And as you go through the Bible, you've got to look for Christ. When you get to Exodus, look for Christ in, in so many ways. Leviticus, Joshua, Judges, look for Christ. All of the judges are types of Christ. They are many saviors in some ways, raised up to deliver, and they depict the Lord Jesus. The kings, the prophets, they all depict the Lord. That's the emphasis that we see here. And I trust that in the life of Joseph, we get the picture. May the Lord use it and bless you through his word tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer. We'll ask for the Lord's help upon his word. Father, we thank thee for this insight into the life of Joseph. We thank thee for our Lord Jesus, who is the beloved Son, and who, though hated of men, came into the world to save us. And I pray tonight that you will write these words on our hearts, and even cause each one to bow the knee to Jesus. O oh Lord, if there's someone here tonight, unsaved, unconverted, rebelling against the Lord Jesus, bring them to the feet of the Savior. Open their hearts and minds and save their souls, we pray. And we ask Thee to bless us through the week to come. Keep us in Your love and in Your grace. And may the nearness of the Lord be our portion daily and hourly. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with your people now and evermore. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. It is a privilege to bring the message of God's Word today. Here is another exhortation on missions for Christ. People who should know better tell me that the heathen are better off as they are, that their own religions satisfy them and meet their need. Is that true? If so, then most certainly we should let them alone. But are they happy as they are? I am thinking now of that Mohammedan in Algeria who slashed his head again and again with a large knife until the blood flowed freely, then took newspapers and plastered them on top of his head. Finally, taking out a match and striking it, he set fire to the papers, hair and blood. Can you imagine the agony? Why the self-inflicted torture? Because of his religion. He was laying up merit in heaven. Mohammedanism taught him to afflict himself, and he was doing it with a vengeance. Would you exchange places with him? Would you accept his Mohammedanism and give him your Christianity? Which religion would you prefer? Do you think Mohammedanism brought him peace and comfort and happiness, or the very opposite? I leave you to answer. I am thinking of the Aborigines of Australia when a baby is born. The witch doctor must find a victim somewhere, so he seizes on the newborn infant, and in spite of the mother's protests and agonizing appeals, he fills its little mouth with sand until it chokes to death. Why does he do it? 
because his pagan religion tells him he must. The spirits have to be satisfied. Does such a religion make that mother happy? Does she enjoy seeing her little baby murdered before her eyes? I think not. Yet you tell her that her religion is good enough for her. Would you exchange places? Would you be willing to be that mother? Again, I leave you to answer. I am thinking of the Africans who always kill their twin babies, believing them to be demon-possessed. If God should give you twins, would you be willing to have them murdered? You would have to if you lived in parts of Africa, for your religion would compel you to destroy them. I am thinking of the Hindu widows of India, because of their religion, have to lie down beside their husbands when they have died, and allow themselves to be bound and burned alive. Thousands of them have gone into eternity screaming in agony as they slowly burn to death. Would you exchange your religion for theirs? Do you think it brings them any pleasure, any enjoyment? Yet you tell me to let them alone, that they are better off as they are. What a callous philosophy! I am thinking, too, of the pagans in Africa, who, when a chief dies, throw his widows, thirty, sixty, or a hundred of them, into the grave with him, and bury them alive. Is that a pleasant prospect? Would you be satisfied with such a religion? Until you, my friend, are willing to accept those religions with their consequences, their abominable practices for yourself, you ought to be ashamed to say that heathen are better off as they are. Their religions are religions of fear. They know nothing of peace and love. They have no hope. Christianity alone offers them life, abundant life, and that which satisfies the heart. This article is by Dr. J. Oswald Smith in the Sunday School Times, and it is an awakening and a call to the great need to reach the lost men and women who follow the vicious practices of false religion, those that murder and destroy. Jesus came not to destroy, but to give life, and we rejoice that there is mercy and grace to be found through the Lord Jesus Christ. What liberty it brings. If the Son sets you free, ye are free indeed. And so we ought to praise God for the liberty and the light that the gospel brings into our lives, that we cast ourselves upon the death of Christ, which is enough. God is satisfied. We are justified and accepted in the Beloved. Thank you for staying tuned with us today. We trust that the Lord has blessed you through this message on Let the Bible Speak. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music